and welcome back to On the Shelf. Today we have a very special episode we can't wait to share with you all today, an author interview. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to On the Shelf. Um, it's just Honora alone today because it is exam week where we are and we're all we're all a little bit stressed, but it'll be okay because I have a very special guest with me here today. We've been trying to schedule this interview for quite a long time. Um, <laughs> I'm just so happy it's actually happening. Um, and we're both here together about to talk about a great book. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Riley S. Quinn. I'm also more popularly known as Riley Quinn Art on social media. You may have seen some of my work on Instagram or possibly YouTube, but I am the author of the Pendant of Hyacinth trilogy. Books one and two are out and book three is coming out this coming winter. So I'm very excited for that. But thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. As you said, we've been trying to make this happen for a long time and I'm super happy that it's officially today that we're recording this. I know. Um, but yeah, so continuing a little bit more with um, the introduction, I'm wondering if you could give like a couple sentence summary about like what the plot of book one is, because that's specifically what this interview is about. Of course, of course. I mean, you always want to start at the beginning. Um, it's a young adult fantasy adventure, which I didn't really have a plan for a genre or an age group when I started writing it. I just thought, oh, what do I want to read? And this is basically what came out of that. But it's centered around the journey of these three characters who come from very different walks of life within this fantasy world. And then despite their differences, when the magical creatures of that world called dreams start disappearing and monsters called nightmares take their place, these three characters who are named Hazel, Ariel, and Thalia, they end up as this unconventional dream team and they make plans to save the world together. So they have all these you know, troubled pasts, relationship drama, lifestyle differences that cause some rifts and some clashing. But ultimately, it is a tale of friendship and hope because I cannot resist a happy ending. So I hope that people who are looking for something lighthearted and magical will really enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah. And we are specifically focusing on book one of the trilogy today, which I'm very excited to get into. Um, yes. first we have just kind of some icebreaker get to know you questions. <laughs> Um, and the first one is very weird, but if you were a plate, what type of plate would you be? It's actually very funny. Thank you for sending me this question in advance so I could really think about it because <laughs> I wanted to have a weird answer to a weird question. Oddly enough, I immediately knew what my answer would be. I am a tectonic plate, as in the plates of the Earth's crust, um, because I really relate to the constant state of change and all of the breaking and rebuilding that comes with being one. I like to think that I'm the kind of person who can take both sorts of situations, one that breaks you down and one that builds you up, and use it to become a better version of myself. And I think, you know, having the mindset that that's just part of the process has really helped me cope with my own creative and professional journey. So tectonic plate. That's <laughs> awesome. I love asking that question because you get such a wide range of answers. And I think that's definitely like the most thought out respond um the most thought out explanation for tectonic plate because sometimes when I'll ask this question they'll be like what do you mean like a tectonic plate yeah. but they won't actually have like the amount of thought so I really appreciate that because that's a really good answer um so continuing with just 
some basic get to know you things. Um, you know, it's a rainy day. You don't have anywhere to be. There's no work to be done except just sit on your couch and enjoy your day. What are some of your comfort, like TV shows, movies, or books? Okay. So obviously being a creative person, I have many because I had to be inspired by a lot of media growing up to end up doing what I do. Um, I grew up on a lot of Disney movies and Barbie movies, but for Disney movies, it was specifically like the 90s animation Disney mm -hmm. Renaissance. So lots of more modern Disney princesses and then some more niche classics like Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Love those. So underrated. And I just love that era where they were really kind of starting to get experimental before they switched fully to 3D. Um, I work in animation, so I'll talk a lot about that. And you'll see it affects my work. It's very cartoonish in how it's written. Um, but also, you know, comfort media besides that, I like silly, stupid shows because, again, I like to smile. I like to laugh. I think that life can be so serious. And so I really enjoy media that is full of joy and ultimately has like uplifting endings so I actually really like the show Bob's Burgers which is super funny because everyone's a little bit confused by that one when I say it because my work looks nothing like that I was able to work briefly at the studio that made it and that was a lot of fun but um I just love that it's like one of the few adult animated cartoons that actually has like a family that loves each other <laughs> like this is nice they actually like being around each other that's so sweet and then with books basically any cheesy fantasy I love fairy stories so um the folk of the air I'm a little bit of a sucker for that one specifically just because I love the imagery of the writing mm -hmm. and the political strategy side of it I think that that in fantasy worlds is always so fun mm -hmm. yeah but, I completely yeah. agree <laughs> <laughs> sorry did I cut you off I didn't... no not at all oh, I was okay. just saying you're good <laughs> okay yeah that was always when we have our big group discussions, it was always a running theme that we would all try to talk over each other at the same time. And it would be very chaotic. Um, so <laughs> sorry about that. It was just kind of a jump reaction. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, and the next question, again, you kind of touched on this in your last answer, but this is more diving um, a bit deeper. Um, what is kind of um, specific to the book? Um, is there any like the main inspiration when it came to writing this and any media you feel like really impacted the creation of your world and like when writing it? Okay, this answer is a little bit funny and maybe not something you get on this podcast every day, but I do not remember because I started writing this story when I was 14 years old and I am almost 21. I created this very young, like I said, I just made something that I thought I would like. So I couldn't tell you for certain what had a concrete inspiration on it and then what kind of just seeped in subconsciously. It's funny because as I've grown and continued to flesh out the story and you know rewrote it to be more marketable, I have seen a lot of overlap in media I've consumed over the years as it's developed. But when I was first starting out, I think it was just a giant mess of every book I'd ever read, every mm -hmm. movie I'd ever watched. I think I just knew that I wanted it to have that feeling that you get after you see a really beautiful movie where you just want to live in that world. Mm -hmm. I think that was ultimately what I took from what inspired me and put into that world so much more than anything else. A lot of the characters... They weren't really inspired by other characters I'd seen, but by friends and family who had impacted my life and how I think about the world. Mm -hmm. That's a really cool answer. Um, and I, 
relate to that. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't have books out, but, um, you know, I feel like, um, if you look at my writing, even in the moment, if I'm just like, oh, I came up with this great story idea, looking back on it, you can kind of, you can kind of get some vibes of what you might've been, um, reading. I think or watching. a good thing though. I think that's it great. Is. And it's a technique I actually use when I try to get people invested in the series is when I can tell that something I enjoyed influenced the work, I use that and I say, hey, you know, if you really like these pieces of media, this very obviously pulls from that. And I'm personally somebody who if I like a trope, I will read everything with that trope mm-hmm. in it. So <laughs> I think it's a good thing to take clear inspiration because, you know, nothing's original. It's like it's just a matter of how you put your own spin on a story that's already been told. There's only like, what, 13 story formulas. So yeah. it's just about what are you adding to it specifically that's unique, not is the whole thing fresh. So I think that's a good thing. I think it's really fun when you can tell what an author or artist likes from looking at their work. It's like, I know what show you're watching. (laughs) It's like, I am the target demographic for this. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We're of the same mind. That's okay. That's really cool. I do feel, I feel a bit better now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, okay. So as someone who has, so these next two questions, um, you know, they're kind of similar, but... um, Basically, uh, as someone who has written and published your own books, do you have a like favorite and least favorite part of the writing process and then a favorite or least favorite part of the actual like publishing process? Absolutely. Absolutely. To all of that, I will <laughs> definitely for sure. So one thing is, you know, the whole thing about like planners versus pantsers when it comes to writing. Yes. <laughs> I much started out as a pantser like I kind of just wrote whatever I went at the start and then I just started writing I had no ending in mind I had no character arcs in mind once again I was 14 I was like I think these characters would make a fun story (laughs) and then started (laughs) I had a lot of feedback from like friends at the time so thankful for that because it would have been an absolute mess if I didn't have people asking me questions But um, I would say that as I developed more of a professional writing style, I did move more into planning. Outlining became very important to me. But my favorite part of writing is when you've already completed the outline and you're able to go into those blank spots in between and really focus on like the raw Mm -hmm. character. And I love the moments in writing where you get to sit with the character and what they're thinking, not necessarily the action of the plot, but how they feel about the plot. I think that is like the most fulfilling and enjoyable part of writing for me, which is probably why even though I have this like big fantasy adventure premise pendant, all three books, I know we're focusing on book one, but like you, this is a consistent theme. So I'm just going to say it. They're very character driven, even Mm -hmm. though it's a big magical world, it's very character driven. So that's my favorite is getting to be with them emotionally. And then my least favorite part of writing is all of the stuff I had to cut. Mm-hmm. I got so many amazing side plots. They were so funny. They were great. They added characterization, all these side characters, because in the end, they just were not relevant to the main storyline. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole like kill your darlings thing. I, I've killed a lot of darlings and it's sad to watch them go. But, you know, at least I know I have plenty of spinoff material if I ever wanted to do mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. then the publishing I I looked forward to talking about this. So self-publishing, and I know there are a couple questions about this, so I won't go too crazy yet, but um, it's a risky choice. It's a very risky choice. It's, first of all, a lot more expensive. Second of all, you you run the risk of having no audience. Mm -hmm. You don't, anybody's going to see it. It's pure luck. I was extremely lucky 
that pendant worked out as well as it did. And of course I did put hard work into that, but I don't think that's enough because plenty of authors put a ton of hard work into their projects and they still don't necessarily get the audience that they were dreaming of. Um, but I had somebody who convinced me to go that route, who is, you know, my editor and he runs the pendant of Hyacinth Instagram, not my Instagram, Riley Quinnart, but the other one. And he researched all of these different self-publishing companies for me and convinced me that we could really do it. And so he handled a lot of that process for me. So I would say the part of publishing that I loved is when he handled it. Yeah. <laughs> and when he showed me charts and he said, what do you think? And I said, oh, um, looks good. Thumbs up. I trust <laughs> you. And I'm so glad I trusted him. Um, he's my fiance now. So it worked out. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and then the least favorite was probably just the initial anxiety because I did, I did get some pushback from peers who thought that it was a little bit too risky to self-publish. And so I think some of the self-doubt that came with it and the wondering if I was making the right call was the scariest part of publishing for me. Also, just the idea of putting your work out there is always terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to be a very anti-social media person. I did not want to show my art anywhere. I kept it to myself. I only started sharing it online because of the pandemic. I was like, well, I need something to do. Um, and I'm happy I did. It ended up paying off very well, but it's terrifying. It's very anxiety inducing to put a part of you out there. And publishing was basically like the final nail in the coffin of like, okay, it's time to really show people who I think I am. So that was scary, terrifying, hated it, but it paid off. So I guess I loved it also in a way. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I can really say for that. No, that's completely fair. Uh, and I think it's very interesting to kind of hear um, that side of publishing and that side of the story because a lot of, not everyone, but uh, the majority of the authors we talk to on here are traditionally published. So I think it's really interesting just being able to hear like, it's not all one kind of concrete like yeah. path and just all the different um, ways it can take to still like have your very own book and have kind of your writing out in the world. Yeah. And again, we'll get more into the publishing a bit later. We but will. We'll come back to that. We'll circle back. We'll back to that. <laughs> um, but yeah. So continuing with the writing side, however, um, it's kind of a two-part question, but what is the best writing advice you've ever received? And if you could go back in time uh, to back when you were um, starting your writing journey, or even when you had come up with this world when you were 14, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? <clears throat> Okay, yes. Um, I'm going to give you the piece of writing advice. And I think this is actually extremely common. But, you know, I'm more involved in the art community, not the writing community. So a lot of this stuff, when I first heard it was a completely alien concept to me, I'm going to give you the piece of writing advice that made me so irrationally angry, and then ended up paying off the most for my work. And that is to rewrite instead of edit. So you don't go back in and tweak after your first draft. You just get rid of the first draft entirely. You never look at it again. And then you do it all over again. I did that. So when I was 14, I wrote the first draft of this story. I wrote it pretty much all the way through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of work. Um, and I got almost to the end. I had about three chapters left. And then I decided I wanted to publish it. And I got that advice and I thought to myself, do I trust the writing that I did when I was first learning how to do this? I decided I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I saved some of the drawings I did from like the initial, initial visual development stage. Cause I always start visually with a project. 
And then I deleted everything. I deleted all of it. It's gone. I have no backups. It's nowhere. I banished it from my mind. I banished it from my files. And it killed me to do that. But I'm so glad I did because having to go back and rewrite it again from memory, I really only did write out the scenes that were actually important to the plot. Mm -hmm. Got rid of all the unnecessary fluff. And I love fluff. And I was able to add in fluff that worked. But I mean like fluff as in stuff that just really did not matter. It was just me testing out if I could write at all. It didn't add anything. So rewriting instead of editing, extremely painful. It feels wrong to delete something you've worked on for years, but um, very liberating at the same time. So I do recommend it to anybody who feels stuck. Seriously, just delete it and start over. <laughs> it's it's scary, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun in the end because it takes some of the pressure off to be like, oh, well, you know, we're doing it again. Mm -hmm. You already where you want to go with it so it's not necessarily a blank slate but it is still refreshing and then as for advice I would specifically give to like 14 year old me I think I would tell her not to be so scared of sharing what she had with other people and this is something I actually hear a lot of young authors come to me with especially on social media they say you know I'm trying to get my work out there I'm just scared it's you're always going to be scared putting it out there for the first time is going to be scary. Mm -hmm. so why wait? You know, like in my opinion, sometimes it's better to just rip off the bandaid, you know, start mm -hmm. putting it out so that by the time you're older and you have something you're really genuinely proud of, you're not terrified to share it. I think start putting out the cringy, bad fan fiction-y writing the second you have it, because why not? It's kind of fun. Like the books that I wrote and specifically book one, because I wrote that when I was 19 and I already cringe reading it. It's so corny. It's so cliche. It's so tropey. But that's why it was so fun to write. And I think that's also why people have so much fun reading it. So I think like, don't be afraid of that part of the process. It is fun. It's fun for a reason. Don't be ashamed of it and lean into it more because ultimately a lot of people will really enjoy it because it's just so goofy. They're like, this is awful. I love it. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff I like to read sometimes. So don't be scared. Yeah, I had actually never heard um, the writing advice you had shared before. So that was quite, really, yeah, I never heard that before. So that was quite insightful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a very interesting tactic. And I can totally see like why that would work. But I do understand why that would be very. <laughs> it's like, painful. It's really painful. <laughs> Yeah. It was not fun in the moment. I just am thankful for doing it looking back. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, you know, we got some new advice here. So I <laughs> fully appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so going into our next question, back to the publishing side, um, mm -hmm. which did touch on a bit, um, kind of in the end, why did you decide that self-publishing was for you? And what was kind of your journey with um, all of that stuff, but really like coming to that? decision yes so I sort of have two answers to this I have an answer that sounds really pretty and sweet and that one is true but I also have an answer that is very practical and not cute at all and it's also true so they're both true I'm just going to say both first reason is if you self-publish you get a larger portion of the profit from your project mm -hmm. you can make it that you get like three dollars a copy instead of 10 cents with traditional publishing though you are likely to sell many more copies you might not get as much of a cut. And, you know, I had worked hard on this project for many years. I wanted to get a little bit more out of it so that I could then put that money back into, you know, creating merchandise or, mm -hmm. you know, 
maybe funding some research, that sort of thing. Because, you know, you want to go travel places and get inspired. And I thought I was willing to take the risk of it selling not as many copies if I could get a larger portion of each sale just so that I could fund it back into the project. Because, you know, it's it's a business and you're kind of running it by yourself when you're self-publishing. You've got to think about how you're going to use your funds to continue to fuel the project itself. But the other answer, which is much nicer, which is why I'm saying a second, is that, <laughs> you know, creative integrity. I just wanted the full rights to my own story. <laughs> and I did, you know, it's true. I was very attached to the characters and I knew that if I went traditional publishing, there was a very high chance that they would want to change things that I might have considered to be very important. Mm -hmm. And I might not have had the same wiggle room to kind of defend those choices creatively. And um, I poured a lot of me into every single character. And I think every author does that. But there were things that I think had they wanted to cut, I would have felt that the character was not as complete. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted that creative freedom. So I was willing to take the risk of self-publishing. And I never expected it to do as well as it did at all. I did not even dream that I would ever call myself an author. If you ask anyone who knows me personally, I did not let them call me an author until like six months after book one was already out and selling well. I barely even let them call me a writer because I was like, oh, no, guys, I'm an artist who writes. It's different. It's different. But really, I was just like, I was worried I wasn't good enough. And my fiance and I had this bet when we first were starting to market it. And his bet was that I would sell over 40 copies. And my bet was that I would sell under 40. I've sold about 2000. Um, very, very happy about that. And, you know, people have bought it all over the world. Never saw that coming. Apparently a lot of people in Brazil really like it. So we're trying to see if we can get it translated. But um, I'm so honored that it was able to do so well. And you know, this is a risk that you take with self-publishing, but the fact that we took that risk and then still managed to get the success that we couldn't have imagined, I'm really grateful and I'm really happy. And I would not trade that choice for the world, even if it meant I would have sold 10,000. I would never do it differently. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, so when you first started talking, I wasn't aware that you were starting with the pragmatic one first. So as you were starting to talk, I was like, if this is the simple answer, I do not know what the... <laughs> <laughs> what that is gonna sound like <laughs> um but but yeah those are both completely fair and I can totally understand kind of the dichotomy that comes with making that decision um and just all of the parts that really go into making the book and I do think yeah but yeah I mean and I do think the pretty kind of answer aspect is um, a cool thing that you get to have in the end of just being like this is the story I want to tell kind of regardless um yeah yeah so going into the actual <laughs> actual book now um this book um you utilizes kind of multiple POVs there's lots of different characters in it and stuff was um one character like harder to capture than an, than a different one was one easier to kind of just jump into where they kind of all the same or just kind of capturing the voice of the book in general mm. okay so I would say when I first started writing this story the first draft that no longer exists Hazel who is the young character uh Hazel is 14 and they are a very optimistic, adventurous person. So when I was 14 myself and I started writing this story, obviously I related the most to Hazel. And 
Ariel and Thalia, who are older, they're 19 and 20, um, they felt a little bit more distant to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of just wrote what I thought people that age would be like. As I have grown older, <laughs> I have developed much more into an Ariel than Athalia. And Thalia is this, you know, cool swordswoman, warrior woman. And then Ariel's just this very stressed out man. <laughs> and so that was a development I didn't see coming. But in the current draft of book one, I would say that Ariel was my favorite to write because everything he says about just being terrified that he's not doing the right thing or that he somehow failed. I was like, oh, so true, King, as if I'm not the one writing him. I'm like, you are really speaking to me right now because I am writing your voice. Of course you are. But um, I think a lot of people ended up relating to him and feeling very comforted mm -hmm. by him. So I'm happy that it paid off that well and that it wasn't just me sitting in my room on my computer talking to myself through this character. Um, so for book one, Ariel was definitely my favorite to write. I think with Thalia specifically in book one, she has fewer scenes because she gets progressively more important as the series progresses. Um, she might have been the most difficult specifically for book one because she is more distant at that time. But then in book two, she ends up being my favorite to write. And then in book three, which isn't even out yet, so I won't say much, um, Hazel is absolutely my favorite. So it's, they all get their time to shine and be the character that I really like dive into the most. And I think it's been really fun to work with a set of three. That said, if I were to write again, I'd want to write a smaller cast because it is hard to bounce back and forth so much. And I know that the multiple POVs can be kind of jarring for some readers. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way for this project. I think it worked pretty well. Yeah, and I think it is kind of cool. Um, again, obviously, book three is not out, but I do think it's kind of cool that it's almost a full circle moment that Hazel is who you most connected with when you were first writing it and just kind of ending um, the trilogy out with that. I think that's- Oh, really yes. To, <laughs> to kind of see. And then also knowing that as a reader, just all of um, like the underlying things. <laughs> yes. But yeah, um, basic. But this book has a pretty decent-sized extended cast that kind of surround the main players. I'm wondering if any of them were kind of your personal favorites. Any of them, if the story could, you know, be as long as it could be, that you would want to really focus some time onto. <laughs> it breaks my heart to answer this because they all did have their own stories. They're all very very fleshed out characters beyond the page and there was just so much that couldn't make it in and it's funny because sometimes I do get critique from readers where they say a lot of these characters felt flat it takes everything in me to say I just didn't have time but mm -hmm. uh, Anya and Sheila I love those girls they are the best and they're a little bit off the stage for book two but you know in book one they are real main players and they are so much fun. And Anya is just this outrageous personality. But, you know, she's a bit older than Hazel, so you can do more things with her. And her character ended up going a completely different direction than it did in the first draft. She ended up, she was actually originally only written in because I realized all three of my protagonists were only children. I was like, oh, well, I should give one of them a sibling. So she was seriously just there to keep things from being, like, too consistent. Mm -hmm. And then I attached to her and she kind of just bloomed into this contrasting character for Ariel that ended up becoming her own complete thing and the story that ended up getting written around her even though it's not as extensive as it was in the original draft and I did have to compress it a lot to let the main plot shine 
I'll always be very attached to her and Sheila, of course, but there's something about her and her unapologetic personality that I really, really enjoy. Okay, so obviously I also have a soft spot for Anya and Sheila just because I mean, kind of how can you not after reading the book? <laughs> um, and at least at least from my reading experience, I won't say that anyone else reading the books are wrong, but I do think you can kind of tell when the author has taken um, additional time to really flesh out the additional characters. Um, and I just think that's really cool to read. At least, I mean, at least that was coming across on the page for me that it just felt it's like these are characters that you care about when you're having them be on the page um but yeah so that's just really cool to read and especially know that there actually is that much care and dedication behind it so that's very comforting to hear that it comes across thank you for saying that <laughs> no problem um but yeah so obviously as we know this is a trilogy as we have touched on a couple yeah. of times um but when you were starting writing um whether it be kind of this iteration or the first iteration, did you plan for it to be multiple books? Did it just kind of happen? Or yeah, just how did this kind of come across? <laughs> it was not supposed to be a trilogy. No, it was supposed to be one book. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I only had enough material for one book. And as I have mentioned, you now know that I had to actually cut a lot to get it yeah. to fit into three. Um, but I don't know why I'm, I have this thing. I'm sure plenty of people are this way, but I cannot stand for it to be more than three. It has to be three. I think a trilogy is the perfect amount. I didn't want to do four books. I didn't want to do six and I didn't want to do two. So it had to be a trilogy. Once I knew that it couldn't fit in one, it had to fit in three. It couldn't be two. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up deciding to make it a trilogy around the time that I hit the 200 page mark on book one mm -hmm. and realized that I had barely chipped into the actual plot at all and I thought about it and I did some math which is very rare for me <laughs> I, you, you won't catch me doing math often I will say that um I am a humanities person I I did some math and I realized I basically have a thousand pages on my hands not not a lot of people are going to pick up a thousand page book. Some people are, some people eat that up. They like to have like a whole tome and that's <laughs> awesome. But my target audience, not so much because they are usually, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16. They're in school. They've got homework to do. They're not going to pick up a thousand page like fantasy saga. They're going to pick up, you know, bite-sized books. So a trilogy seemed a just best practically because that's a lot easier to bind and it seemed more suited to the people that I knew would enjoy reading it. Mm -hmm. Plus, I liked that it would pace it out over more time. Because if you release just one book, you have the one release. Yeah. And then people kind of gradually discover it. But ultimately, hype dies as mm -hmm. a project has been out longer and longer. And with the trilogy, there was this really rare and exciting opportunity to continue to build excitement with each installation. Like when I released book one, I released it to an audience of about 32,000 followers. And of those 32,000, very few bought it because, again, a lot of people didn't even realize they were books. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by the time book two came out, it was like 62,000. And then now with it being almost to 300,000, there is a lot of excitement for book three. And that's a super cool feeling. And so I'm glad I went with Trilogy. But um, no, originally it was supposed to be just one book. 
Yeah, I completely understand that. And I also do agree that a trilogy just seems like the perfect amount of book when you're reading it. And <laughs> especially when, I don't know, because there's something about the really big series that are just so daunting. Because it's like, if you're not in, like, in there when you're when book one is out it feels like catching up is just climbing a mountain very intimidating um, but yeah and then at least when I was um and you know since we're on the topic of your books when I <laughs> when I was learning about um I think that I you had said it was going to be a trilogy or something and I think only book one was out but I was like oh okay you know like that's totally manageable and I was looking into this and I was like oh you know that's like a solid length book I can knock that out in like not an insane amount of time and especially you were getting closer and closer to the interview and I was like I need to make sure I am as read up and informed as I absolutely need to be so I did (laughs) A bit of rereading trying to like make sure because again this has been a long work in progress getting to this point that I knew I was not as much in the know as I was when I first reached out to you so right yeah. so I well, thank you for putting in that kind of energy I really appreciate it yeah you know I feel like <laughs> I should be informed <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah because that would just I don't know I feel like that would not be great as a interviewer of being like for an interesting interview for sure yeah. you like so what what are we talking so about what, these are books what oh. <laughs> okay I mean if you say so but it's <laughs> like that's great um but yeah so anyway I I agree and trilogies it's just I don't know it's like it's long enough that you can get invested but mm-hmm. it's enough that it's not like scary <laughs> yes exactly exactly that yeah. perfect round. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Oh, okay. So you've kind of touched a bit on this um, in a couple of different questions. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, some people will know you mainly for like the art first and then find out about the books. Um, and you also touched upon like doing the visual aspects before you jump into a project has been, has being able to like capture the characters in that way helped or enhanced your writing of the book absolutely and I do know that a lot of authors are very envious of having those dual skills um I get commissioned a lot by authors to draw their characters and I hear a lot in the the first talks when we're starting to create those commissions ah I just wish I could do what you can do because then I could just draw it and then I could be like this is exactly what I need the character to look like in everyone's brains Mm -hmm. so that's a big one is knowing that people are um you know, viewing the characters, how I intended them to be perceived. Mm-hmm. Representation is very big in my work. Mm-hmm. Diversity in my work. I want to create, I talked about it being lighthearted, but I wanted for there to be this really fun, escapist, goofy fantasy adventure that everybody could see themselves in. You know, there are characters who have a lot of different sexualities, gender identities, ethnic backgrounds. That's very on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I consult a lot of people to make sure that those representations are as accurate as possible. But it was important to me that when people are reading these books, they do know that these characters might look like them or might look different from them. So being able to draw them and create those really strong visual representations of them before the books were even out, I think was a huge plus for that specifically. And also, it's just fun to be able to get people attached to them. 
in like, you know, a different way than they might usually get attached to book characters so that they don't have to go in so blind. Mm-hmm. They already know like, oh, well, I love this character's clothes or I love how this character is so expressive. And then they can imagine that as they're reading, which I think a lot of people really enjoy having that mm-hmm. visual background. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely really cool to see. Um, and this is kind of, I don't know, um, there's um, someone named... Irene Chow, who also kind of does a similar thing with her, um, like the Herb Witch's Apprentice and um, the Herb Witch Princess, where she does like, it's a bit different because she does like the illustrations inside of it. But I still think that's a really cool thing um, that, again, kind of goes with the self-publishing of being able to control like, this is what is going on. Yes. Um, And it's just really cool as a reader to see because it's more of um it's even more of kind of a glimpse into the soul of the person that's making the work you're consuming and just being able to kind of get what where they're coming from and I don't know it's just really cool to see and also listeners you should check out her art account because the art's really cool um <laughs> you know promo you, no, promo yes um, um yeah active so Riley Quinn art r-i-l-e-y Q-U-I-N-N, art, A-R-T. That's where you'll see the most recent and updated versions of my work. I'm on a couple of different sites, but that's the best one to follow me if you're interested in seeing more of that artwork. Yeah, and all of the things will be linked in the show notes for people listening. Um, Awesome. Yeah, so continuing on. Oh, so for book one, you have recorded the audiobook version for it. How was that kind of experience? Because that's, Um, Because obviously, you know, you're bringing your characters to life through the art, but this is bringing them to life in a completely different way. Sorry, I'm already laughing because it was such a dumpster fire (laughs) to make that audio book. (laughs) Okay, I did that for accessibility reasons. A lot of people who love the art might have, you know, dyslexia or they maybe have trouble reading or English isn't their first language and Mm -hmm. it's easier to listen to than read and since as I said representation is so important to me and so important for my work I wanted to create something that was more accessible to people who still wanted to enjoy it but maybe couldn't read the books for some reason or another Mm -hmm. so I created the audiobook out of love because oh my goodness I did not know what I was doing I thankfully had Carson again same guy as before who did all the research for the self-publishing and editing and runs the social media account. He is really just a renaissance man. He does everything. Thank God for him. But um, he basically provided all the recording equipment. He sat me down in the closet with a chair where I was surrounded by clothes. So they would absorb the sound. And he handed me the book and he said, I'll be out there. The laptop is recording. Good luck. And he did all the file conversion. He adjusted all the peaks, whatever that means. Um, He got it into Audible, made the account, got it approved. Again, could not have done any of this without him. If you're going to self-publish people out there who are considering it, have a core team to help you because you are not going to be able to do this by yourself. It is really stressful. Find a couple buddies. They can be anybody just as long as they're willing to help you take the brunt of this work. And, you know, when I was reading the book, because it's so outlandish, like it's written in this very comedic way, especially book one is so comedy centric. There was a lot of very interesting voice acting (laughs) that I had to do. (laughs) I'm not an actress. I never got a single callback for anything I ever auditioned for um, because I burst out laughing when anyone looks at me. 
thankfully I was in a closet by myself so nobody was looking at me and I was able to really play the characters how I intended them to be read and it was fun to read the lines with the emphasis that I imagined in my head when I wrote them I lost my voice a couple times just really getting into those scenes and then Carson had to adjust that volume way down but um, (laughs) it was a lot of fun it was really weird we're going to be recording the audiobook for book two this summer hopefully um, which is a much longer one so I'm a little bit scared but lots of tea and honey and hopefully I'll be okay. (laughs) I was actually going to ask about um, if you had any plans for recording book too. So that's kind of exciting. Um, Yeah, I've been in the past few months, I've been very into audiobooks as like the main way of listening. So I was like, I just thought it was so cool that not only there was an audiobook, but it was like you reading it yourself. So that, and I think that that also made going into this interview a little less daunting for me just because we had been trying to schedule it so long ago being able to kind of get an idea of the general atmosphere I was like okay (laughs) okay yes Um, no I I am all atmosphere honestly (laughs) and yeah I just think it's so interesting and it's really fun um when authors are able to um to record their own audiobooks again because it's just allowing it to be told as they really intend for it to be but I can very much understand why that would be its own its own challenge um but that's still really cool that you were able to do that yes it was it was fun new different um but definitely ultimately I think something that I enjoyed and should be a lot smoother the second time Okay, so we have um, we have two questions left, um, and the next one is very character based. Um, do you think if for whatever reason, whether you got sent into the world you created or they came to our world, you would get along with your protagonists? Absolutely, I really do think that I would, um, because you know one of the things I was always told my whole life, even before I was talking about writing very seriously, uh, was that you're supposed to write what you know. You know, and you can obviously experiment, but like the core aspect of your story should be something that you relate to and writing something so character driven. I obviously had to make very relatable characters. And so all of them have a piece of me, something very significant to me. And, you know, sometimes what is so important to them, it might not be the main thing. It might be something else about them that is really relatable to me. But because of that, I think we would all connect. And um you know, just like a little bit of a tangent, but I think part of why it's so scary to write something like this is you know that you're putting out parts of yourself that you're not necessarily proud of. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those characters, they don't get their strengths from me. They get their weaknesses from me. Mm -hmm. So I basically gave them the qualities of mine that I was the least proud of and then thought, okay, what redeeming qualities can I give them? for those flaws to make sense and for them to be able to grow out of them or, you know, grow to accept them depending on the flaw. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it actually helped me make peace with myself in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it helped me realize that a lot of the things about myself that I considered to be flaws initially were not and that I had been taught to feel that way. And it was completely okay to be who I was. And of course, some things that you'll see, like there are issues of humility that Ariel specifically has to hit really hard, really fast. And that came from me. 
And then, you know, with Hazel being too trusting and then kind of having to be a little bit more careful and then Dolly refusing to rely on help. Like those all come from me. So I think that if they were to be teleported to this world or I were to be teleported to theirs, the first thing we would probably have is like a group therapy session. <laughs> It's like, okay, y'all, so my bad for making you the way that you are. Sorry you're so stressed out, but you're doing great. And thank you for helping me figure out who I am. I think the only issue they'd have with me is that they were basically my therapy. <laughs> they'd be like, couldn't you have just made our like lives easy since you have the power to write it that way? Um, well, probably, but then nobody would read it. It's not interesting. <laughs> we want the drama. We live for the drama. But um, I'm always going to be a happy ending person. And I've said that from the very beginning. That's not a spoiler at all. Just because I don't want people to feel like they can't get attached and hope for the best for these characters. They will have the best. They will get their happy endings. Because I think people who relate to them, they should see that there is happiness for people who might struggle with things that they struggle with. That's awesome. I, I don't know. I think that's a really cool, um, well, maybe not cool. I think that's a very interesting way um, to just kind of discuss that and I do think the visuals of you in a group therapy session with them like where <laughs> like in their world that would be extremely chaotic um, very funny seems yeah but that's I don't know that's very interesting I always like asking that question because um as I've been asking it I've learned it can really go either way where they'll be like no this person <laughs> hate me. they will see me, hate me on site or it'll be like um, or it's like, no, it's like, they're a very deep part of me. And I think there's a lot of value to both of those sides. And it really, I mean, it just depends on the type of book it is. But I think, you know, at the core of it all, I think there is some part of the author within all their protagonists. It just depends. <laughs> but I still Absolutely. think, um, yeah, I still think that's really cool to hear about. Um so we have our final question and we did discuss this a little bit outside of the recording. So I'm going to phrase it slightly differently because I kind of know what your answer is. Um, but going into the basics, I always do is like we were initially connected with um, a small business. So we like to um, support people however we can, mainly the authors that we have on and have them highlight where people can find their book as well as any other um places or institutions to get books that they would like to shout out or you know have the audience support awesome so first of all where you can get the pendant of hyacinth books we have first of all a link tree to every available link on the pendant of hyacinth instagram um so if you could attach that to this podcast that'll be super appreciated yeah. but um it's mostly purchasable online if you order it online, you can pick it up in a Barnes and Noble, you can pick it up in a Target, you can pick it up in a Walmart. It's also available as an ebook pretty much anywhere that ebooks are sold. And this is kind of leading into, you know, what I think you should support is you can actually also request for your local library to acquire it. Um, libraries are an excellent resource that a lot of people do not use, either they don't know how or they just don't think to, um, because, you know, in modern society, we're often encouraged to buy rather than borrow, but it's an amazing resource. It will save you a ton of money. And there's a lot more at a library than just books. I think that people would really benefit from even just exploring one. You don't have to take anything home. Just go check it out. I'm a big library person. I love libraries. Uh, I love working in them. I think it's a really great environment for productivity, um, but it's also a great environment for creativity and community. There's so many things that you can find there. 
And I really do wish more people would take advantage of the resource because it can be invaluable. Mm -hmm. So, so awesome. If you just find one that you really like and you just get that card, you can talk to them. You can ask for things. Be like, can you guys get this book? You don't have it. They'll go get it. And it will not cost you, which is fantastic. Yeah. And additionally, kind of going with the libraries, at least, um, at least where I am, a lot of them have like an app you can work through and you can, if you have a card, you can get stuff like go to your phone and stuff like that and still be supported yeah. with the library. Um, basically, moral of this episode, get a library card and just kind of explore what's out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> really so much. <laughs> go get a library card, kids. Go do yeah. some required reading those cards you had to fill out in like fourth grade it's like did you read 10 books this year yes I did yes from the library yeah. <laughs> uh, well thank you so much for being on the shelf with me today Riley I've been so looking forward to this episode all month long my um my last day well, it's the 6th of May. So all April long and then this week of May. Um, but yesterday was my last day of classes and I had been so looking forward to this. It was Congratulations. like- It was the bright spot on the horizon of finishing out the school year. So- Oh, yes. Just, you know, thank you. You're always welcome back, um, especially- Thank you so much. I would love that. Yeah, just thank you for being here. I, I had a very nice time. It, yes, it was chaotic, but that's kind of that's kind of what happens here. So <laughs> thank you. Um, and the to the listeners, links to where you can follow all of the things will be down in the show notes below. I put it way more eloquently, eloquently in the outro I pre-recorded. So you will hear that in about 10 seconds, but the link tree <laughs> also be attached there for all of the places where you can buy or get the um get the books below and I hope and I really hope you do because it will be well worth your time but thank you so much thank you thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed as always with these types of episodes the show notes will be full of resources for where you can follow on the shelf's instagram to stay up to date with all of the episodes interviews and more that we do every single week as well as how you can follow Riley's art account and the book account to stay up with all things related to her trilogy. Thank you so much once again, and we really, really hope you enjoyed. As always, I'm Honora Quinn, and this is On the Shelf. Mm-hmm.